Well, good morning. Welcome. Good to see you all here today. Glad to be back with you. I was away uh, last week in Traverse City, Michigan, and uh, I was preaching at my brother's church there. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful place this time of year, but beautiful to be back here as well. Glad to be back with you. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you would, there's a card in the pew in front of you called a Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out. If this is your first time with us, let us know your attendance. Any ways we can pray for you. Uh, if, uh, if you're a longtime attender and you have a prayer request that you'd like uh, for us to pray about this week, you can fill that out as well and drop it in the offering box in the foyer. And we would uh, glad to be glad to connect and to pray. A few announcements uh, to make mention of. You've uh, seen in the foyer there the uh, uh, photo booth uh, that we have set up there. That is for our pictorial directory, as you may have already understood that. But if uh, you would like to be part of that, um, we will be taking pictures after uh, the service today. And then next week will be the last uh, week for that, before service and after service. Uh, next week. So three, three more opportunities to get your picture taken. Uh, or you can submit your own photo um, if you have a, one that you've done before that you would like to uh, add to the uh, directory, you can do that. Um, if you don't think you want to have a picture in the pictorial directory, we would invite you to reconsider that. But if, if, uh, even if you chose not to do that, we would like for your information to be accurate uh, in there. So there is an information sheet uh, back there. You can also find it online uh, through our Friday email. Um, to fill out, just to make sure we have addresses and num phone numbers and things of that nature correct. Uh, sometimes those things change. We invite you to participate in that. Uh, next Sunday, the 28th, we got two things happening uh, outside of the normal things. We have a business meeting at 1045 uh, between Sunday school and church and to consider taking on missionaries Bill and Kathy Britton as missionaries from our, our church. They uh, presented their ministry back in June. And uh, from, the, from the church board, we're recommending to the church to consider support uh, of them. And then after uh, the 11 o'clock service, there will be a picnic uh, to follow right out here in the, the yard right to uh, my right. And we can just exit out of these doors and go down. The food is going to be provided. We just ask for you to bring a chair. If you don't have a chair or not able to bring a chair, there will be chairs uh, available too. Uh, but just going to hang out a bit. There will be some games uh, to play. And I uh, invite you just to stay for, uh, or for, for as long as you'd like and uh, enjoy the company of one another as we kind of wrap up another uh, summer uh, season, getting ready for the fall and uh, kids going back to school and, and all the rest there. Uh, one other meeting to make mention of, the, the Awana Workers Meeting is this Wednesday at 6 p.m. And uh, that will be just an, an hour-long meeting. So please, if you're helping in Awana in any way, uh, please attend that meeting so everyone's on the same page as we head into another uh, school year of Awana. At this time, Pastor Chris is going to come and lead us in our call to worship. Would you stand with me, please, for our call to worship comes from Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 through 13, read this. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. 
It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouse. Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 1021. 1021. If you would bow with me before we get started. God, would you prepare our hearts to accept your word? Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we are beginning a new series of messages in the book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John was written by... Wait for it. John. That's right. Good job. Uh, John is the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and the beloved disciple of Jesus. At the time of the writing of 1 John, he was the only apostle that was still surviving and the only apostle to not have been martyred and was not martyred, though he did suffer persecution, according to church history. When we first meet uh, or met John in, in the Bible, earlier in the Gospels, he and his brothers were, uh, were given a nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. And that was for their apparent temper that they had. Uh, but as apparently as John grew in the knowledge and image of Jesus, He became less of a son of thunder and more of a a gentle uh, lover. His tone is quite different. 1 John is written some 50 years after Jesus was uh, resurrected, and uh, we see the change in in John. Uh, John wrote five of the books in the New Testament, obviously the Gospel of John and obviously the three epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as... Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is uh, uh, an amazing vision that God gave to, gave to John. Uh, this epistle um, and the, the two that accompany it are, are full of, of heart. They're full of love. They're full of concern for the local church. Uh, John's church was dealing with uh, a bit of disruption, uh, with uncertainty, due to the fact that some people had left the church, had left orthodoxy, and had become false teachers. One commentator puts it this way, certain people had seceded from the author's community. You see that in chapter 2, verse 19. Because they held different views concerning the person and work of Jesus. They didn't believe in the deity of Jesus, chapter 4. The Christians, uh, not only that, 
They also held different views on the Christian's obligation to keep God's commands, chapter 2, verse 4, namely to believe in his son Jesus and to love one another, chapter 3, verse 23, end quote. So it's in this context that John writes this letter. It's in the context of him writing to his church who's going through this disruption and uncertainty about what is true, about Christianity, that he writes to them. Dr. David Allen identifies four purposes that we can see in John's writings. We could call them doctrinal, ethical, pastoral, and personal. Doctrinally, there was a real, a real threat to the church. There was a real threat of false teaching infiltrating the church. So John writes this letter to combat that influence, uh, to, to deal with that confusion that was being brought into the church. Ethically, John wrote because, by, by addressing uh, sin, attitudes towards sin, wrong attitudes about sin, correcting those attitudes, and writing about the necessity of love for other Christians. Pastorally, John wrote a letter to, to strengthen the Christians. Uh, these, these Christians uh, w- were struggling, and Paul is writing to help their faith and help their obedience. It's a, a pastoral letter. Fourthly, Paul wrote in, in a personal sense with a goal. You can look at it in chapter 1, verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy or your joy in some manuscripts may be complete. John's goal was that their joy, right, their joy, that together as a, as a church, as a community, that their joy would be full. As we go through uh, these five chapters of, of John's letter, we'll find that John is not quite as linear in the way he writes as some of the other authors in, in the Bible. And what we'll find is there's, there's a lot of repetition. Um, some think of it as, as he's circular, but others would, would, would communicate that he's actually a spiral, that, that he's, he's coming back to certain things, but he's making an ultimate, an ultimate point, of course. There's a lot of repetition. So though the outline might not always be as clear or as clean as we might want it to be, there are several key themes that are, that are prominent in these five chapters. And so this morning as we begin... Uh, we want to just take an overview of, of three of those themes that we can find in the book of First John. Um, in, the, in the weeks to come, we will be going through this like we normally do, verse by verse, and we'll provide in, in, in advance a list of those scriptures so you can begin uh, preparing. I invite you to begin reading First John in advance of our time together, that you're familiar with these, these verses and what John is doing next week in the Friday email and in the, the weekly, uh, the FBC weekly, those, those scriptures will be available. But the first theme we can look at is in chapter 1, uh, verse 5 where we learn that God is light. Look at it in chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You jump down to chapter 2, verse 8. John continues, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light 
is already shining. The true light. God is the creator of light. Right? That's what we find out in the beginning of the Bible. That God is the creator of light. But not only that, God is the light himself, is what John says. He himself is the light. Meaning he is, is pure and he is perfect, and he is holy, and there is no darkness in him at all. We continue reading in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, after calling, saying that God is light, no darkness in him at all, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John says that the evidence of Christianity, the evidence that someone actually is a Christian, is that they walk in the light. Some people run around and say they're a Christian, and there's no evidence at all. John actually says that there is evidence. One cannot just say, I'm a Christian. That's not how this works. There's evidence there's evidence for Christianity, and here it is, that they walk in the light or that they abide in him. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, whoever abides in him, that's God, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus, one of the evidences of following Jesus is following Jesus. Right? Doing what he said. Not, not just saying that you know him, but to live the way he called you to. So maybe a good question as we think about this theme of God being light, we ask, are you walking in the light? Are you abiding in God? And there, there are plenty of people who claim, who claim to know God, claim to follow God, but their lives, their choices demonstrate that that is not true. This same writer in the, in the Gospel of John writes this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in him. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To walk in the light is to, to abide in God. Are you abiding in God's day? Are you walking in the lights? Are you living out the things you say you believe? You may have been a Christian for years. It doesn't mean you're walking in the lights. You could be a Christian for 10 seconds, and it could mean exactly that you're walking in the lights. This is not about how long you've been a Christian. This is about obedience to what God is calling us to do. Are you walking in the light? The, the second theme we can see is that God is love. Turn with me to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse, <clears throat> verse 8. It says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Jump down to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, John is writing to, to help struggling Christians understand, understand something about Christianity, understand something about what is a Christian, marks of, 
of who a Christian is. And the fact that God is light means that, that we are to walk in light. The fact that God is love means that the Christians are then to love. God's love is not just a fact. It's not just a, a, a fact of the matter. That's not all that it is. It actually is a reality that demands a reaction. Meaning that because God is love, we must respond to that. It demands a response. The, and the proper response is to forsake sin and to love God and others. Right? Because we've been loved, the response then is to love. Look at verse 19, chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. Right? The response to being loved is then to love. That seems obvious enough to, to us, and yet, is it truly a mark of the Christian? Is it a mark of you as a Christian? Francis Schaeffer wrote a, a little book called The Mark of a Christian, referring to love. And, and the question is, are, are we marked by love? Chapter 2, verse 5 says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Chapter 4, verse 21. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. To say that you love God and not to love others is to be a liar. The, the, the way that we demonstrate, one of the primary ways that we demonstrate that we love God is by loving others. It's not two separate things. It's not like I love, love God and tolerate people. That's not how it works. If you truly love God, you will love what God loves and you will love who God loves. That is a mark of Christianity is our love. John says in John 13 that they'll know us. How? By our love. It's that important. It's that necessary. It's that clear for the life of a Christian. And I wonder, is your life marked by love? Are you walking in the light? Are you marked by love? And our third theme, which we'll spend the rest of our time on this morning is found in chapter, in two places, but we'll start in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we find that God is life. Follow along. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was man made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What, what is this eternal life? that is being manifest by the Father. It's the Son, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is, is, is the eternal life. Jesus is the, the word of life. How does God manifest these things? What, is, what does John talk about when he's, he's heard about it, he's seen with their eyes, he's looked upon, he's touched, concerning the word of life? That is Jesus. 
God is eternal life, and the eternal life comes through his Son. Earlier, in, in verse 4, we just read that one of the purposes of the letter was that the Christian's joy would be full. What better way to fulfill your joy than to have eternal life? Than to know that, that, that in, in God is life eternal. John wants his readers to understand where eternal life comes from. From whom eternal life comes. This life is found in God through faith in Christ. Again, the background here. Believers in John's church are dealing with the fallout of people who've left the church, denied Christ, and become false teachers. Right? This led to confusion. It led to people being uncertain about their own security, about their own assurance of salvation. It gave them questions. It caused doubts. Maybe some of us have felt this way too. When those we have looked up to in the faith fail or, or walk away or, or prove that they never were a Christian to begin with, it can shake our faith. Some of us have experienced it. It, it has happened. It happens. I'll tell you, it's happened in this church. But if our certainty, if the certainty of our faith is resting in the faithfulness of other people, we will surely be disappointed. Brothers and sisters, your faith cannot rest in the faithfulness of another person. It cannot rest in your faithfulness of your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or your deacon or your mom or your dad or your grandma. It's not going to work. You will surely be disappointed. Your faith will surely be shaken. If we can learn anything from biblical history, from early church history, from our church's history, men and women fail. Do not look to people for certainty of faith. Look to the one who is called faithful and true, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Look to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, verse 8. And look to the one who is always faithful, even when we are faithless, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus for the certainty of your salvation. John wrote to, as one writer says, bolster the assurance of these believers by counteracting the false teaching. These are not the only believers who, who suffer, who have suffered the unnecessary feelings of, of losing their salvation or of lack of assurance. Maybe you can relate. There, there are more than, than one reason. There is more than one reason why people doubt their salvation. Right? Some, some doubt because of false teaching like this. Some doubt because there have been others that they've trusted who've led them astray. Some doubt because of their own sin. Some doubt their, their salvation because they look at their life and say, man, if I was a Christian, should I be living like this? Others doubt their salvation because even though they, they might know that God, God alone saves, they still believe that they must keep their salvation. Maybe you don't believe that you have to be good enough to get the salvation, but you, be, you believe that you need to be good enough to keep the salvation. And you believe then whenever I fall that maybe, I, maybe God has left me. Maybe I need to get saved 
again. And with that kind of thinking, there will always be a concern. There will always be a concern that you might lose your salvation. Won't there? Every time you sin, every time you fail, has God left me? Am I, do I need to be good enough? Do I need to, to clean myself up? God forbid if that were the case. God forbid if that were the case. Here's the good news. The same grace that saves is the same grace that keeps. You are saved by grace and you are kept by grace. You are saved by God and you are sealed by his spirit. It is not up to you. It's not up to you. It is not up to you. If you're trusting God to save you from eternal, to, for eternal life, then you can trust him to keep you for eternal life. The God who saves is the God who keeps. And how could we have such confidence? Which, that sounds great, Mark. That sounds great. I'd like to have that confidence today too. Well, turn with me to chapter 5. The reason we can have such assurance is because of the testimony of God. That God is life. And in chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, we're going to kind of jump into a middle of a, of, a, of a portion of Scripture, but just stick with me. John writes this, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life comes through faith in Christ. This testimony is the Christian's assurance. This is the testimony that you can lay, why you can lay your head on your pillow at night as a Christian. For you who, who have repented of your sins, for you have placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone. This is the testimony of why you can lay your head on the pillow of night and know that you have eternal life. John says, I write these things, verse 13. I write these things. Why is John writing both, both this specific section, but we could actually say that the whole Bible too, why is, or excuse me, the whole letter too, why is he writing these things? In order that what? That you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Who's that? A Christian. Who believes in the name of the Son of God? A Christian believes in the name of the Son of God. A, a believer is someone who, who knows who this name of the Son of God is. It's, it's Jesus. A Christian is one who, who continues in the teaching of Jesus, unlike these who have left the church. A Christian is one who is obedient to the Lord and to love one another. Those who believe, those who, who have trusted Christ, show evidence of their faith in the way they live, in the way they walk, in the way they love. To those, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I'm writing these things so that what? So that you may know that you have eternal life. John wanted Christians to have assurance to know that they have eternal life. This word know is a, is a a repeated word in John's epistle. Over 30 times, John writes the word no. And the word no here has the idea of a settled, absolute knowledge. It's certainty. You can know 
Have you ever asked someone, do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? And they say, I hope so. That is not certainty. That is not certainty. That is not the knowing that John is talking about here. That you may know that you have eternal life. Don't you love when something is certain? Don't you love when something is inevitable, that, that you know it for sure? Quite, quite frankly, the past two years, it has felt like nothing is certain, right? Depending on what you listen to or who you read or your, what your neighbor has said, like the, 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 the quote-unquote truth is hard to get your arms around. It feels very uncertain lately. Who can you trust? Are those people even telling you the truth? It is tough. It's tough out there. But here's the great truth. John wrote in order that we might not be certain of a lot of things in life, and that might be the case, but this one we can be certain of. This one we can take to the bank. This one you can put your head on your pillow at night and know, and know, and know with, with certainty, with absolute knowledge that you have eternal life. That salvation is final and it's found in Jesus. No more need to doubt. My faith has found a resting place. Right? That's what John is saying. John is saying, I'm writing these things so that you don't live your life doubting whether or not God has you. Some of us have lived far too many of our years doubting whether or not God has us. And John's saying, you don't have to. You don't have to. Some of us are, are doubting because we're looking at our, ourselves. C.H. Spurgeon says, you should not have, we should not have been commanded to give diligence to our calling in election, to make it sure, if it were not right for us to be sure. So, so God wouldn't have said, make your calling and election sure if we can't be sure. So we can be sure. He, he continues, I am sure that it is the right of a child of God to, to know that God is his father and never have a question in his heart as to his sonship, as to his relationship with God. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to worry of whether or not God knows you or not. You don't have to worry if, if Matthew 7, if you're going to be the one who says, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You don't have to doubt. We ought to note, though, that there's a difference between assurance of salvation and eternal security. When we talk about having assurance of our faith, we're talking about what we feel. What you feel does not have any bearings on what is actually true. Do you know that? We, we feel lots of things. That doesn't mean it's real. D.A. Carson gives this great illustration of two fathers on, the, on the, 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 the day before the Passover, the book of Genesis. And he makes up this hypothetical conversation that the one, the one father says to the other father, hey man, are, are you, you kind of worried about tonight when the, when the angel passes over? Are you worried about that? The guy says, I'm not worried about that. He's like, you, you put the blood on the doorpost, right? You put your blood on, on, the, on the, the, the lentil of your door? And the guy says, well, yeah, I did that. I know that. But, I mean, come on. Like, it's kind of a big deal. 
I mean, you, you have three sons. So if you lose one, I only have one son. Like, this, this could be bad for me. Like, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm looking at this thing. I'm, I'm a little uncertain. When the, when the angel passes over, you know, it, it's, is my son going to be safe? And the other guy says, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. And so the question then is this. Which man, when the, when the angel passed over, which man's sons were saved? Which man lost his sons? And the answer is neither. Neither lost their sons. Because the issue is not the depth of one's faith. It's the object of one's faith. And so both men, to varying degrees of faith, trusted the blood on the doorpost. And God saw the faith. So too you. You may be of little faith. You may be of great faith. The security of your salvation does not rest in your faith. It rests in the work of Jesus on your behalf. And so you can, with confidence, you can, with certainty, place your head on your pillow at night knowing that you're right with God. John chapter 5, verse 13 is a bit of a purpose statement we could say for the book. But John closes his gospel with a similar statement. Listen to this. But these things, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The gospel of John is written for non-Christians. It's written that that non-Christians would know Christ and have eternal life. That's why John, the gospel of John is written. That's why sometimes when, when someone's asking questions about faith, the gospel of John is a great place for them to read. Because John's point is that those who are unbelievers would become believers and have eternal life. But 1 John is written in order that Christians might know that they can know that they have eternal life. It's Christians who already have eternal life, but assuring themselves that they do have eternal life. You can know. That's what John's saying. Christian, you who have come to faith in Christ, you who, have, who are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, you can have the assurance of eternal life. You don't have to doubt. But there is another reason why some people doubt their salvation. It's because they're not actually saved. There are some people who, who worry about whether or not they're going to go to heaven because they're not actually trusting in Jesus. Maybe you say, oh, I prayed a prayer when I was six. And? And what? If it was a prayer of faith, okay. If it's something that your mom told you about in order to remind you of it, that's not a prayer of salvation. And even if you did pray a prayer at six, the better question is today, as you sit here today, who are you trusting in? Lots of people prayed prayers. The greater question is, as you sit here today, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Do you believe that the only way to the Father is through the Son? Do you believe that the only hope of eternal life is found in Christ and faith in him? There is no other name. There is no other way. And until, until you see that, until you stop trusting yourself, until you stop 
stop trusting the prayer you prayed at six, until you stop trusting your good works or your church attendance or whatever other metric you want to give, until you stop trusting that and see Jesus on the cross as the only payment for your sin, you will not have assurance. You will not have confidence. You will lack the certainty that John is talking about because you don't actually know Jesus. It is Christ in Christ alone. And for those who have come to Christ, you, you can know. You can know. If you've never come to Christ, the invitation is to do just that this morning. But for those who have, those who have come to know Christ, those who, who know that they have eternal life, let me just ask you, what does that mean to you? Consider that. What does it mean to know with certainty that you possess eternal life? If you actually believed that, if you actually believed that your life is not going to end when you die, if you actually believed that your life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever, how would that change the way you live? How would that change the, the relationship that you have with God now? How would that change your obedience? How would that change your fears and your anxiety? How would that change the way you, you relate with your own health or, or this life or impending death? How would it, 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 it affect the, the relationships or the interactions that you have with other people, your friendships with family, your, your friendships with co-workers, your, your relationships with unbelievers? If you actually believed that there was a certainty of eternal life, wouldn't it remove all fear? Wouldn't it, it, it eliminate, eradicate the sense of needing anyone else's approval, fearing what may come in your life, fearing the next bad news, if we actually believed it? You can have that confidence. That's what John is saying. And he's saying it because Jesus came to earth. And as he came to earth, he came in obedience and in submission to the Father. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give life through his death. And because we have been redeemed through Christ, because we've been given life through faith in Christ, we can now live with assurance of eternal life with Christ that does not start when we die. Sometimes we think about salvation and we think about its, its, its future. It's not just future. It's now and future. Life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. It lasts forever, not because of our faith, but because of the object of our faith. Again, verse 12 of chapter 5, whoever has the Son, whoever has the Son has life. Not whoever has good works has life. Not whoever has the best resume has, has life. Not whoever prayed a prayer at six has life. Not whoever attends fill-in-the-blank church. No, no. Whoever has the Son has life. If you don't have the Son, you could have him today. You could have him today. Jesus says, whosoever will may come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe may not perish but have everlasting life. If you do, if you have the Son, 
that may God help you to walk in faith today, in obedience and in love, with great confidence, resting in the work of Christ on your behalf. May God make us a more confident people this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the work of Jesus. Without it, we are hopeless. Without it, there is no certainty. Without it, we would be a a basket case of nerves, of wondering whether or not we would ever be accepted by you. We would be striving day after day, moment after moment, to, to please you, to appease you, in hopes that you would have mercy on us. And yet, God, in, in your great grace towards us, you sent your Son to do for us what no one else could do for us, to pay for our sins, and that through faith in that payment, we can know Jesus as our Savior, his righteousness accredited to our account, given to us, that you would see us in him, you would accept us in the beloved, so that we can know this salvation so that we could have this security, so that we could feel this assurance. He who has the Son has life. Thank you for the Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Our God, you reign for